are listening to the Classic Sermons Podcast from PreachTheBible.org, a ministry of North Valley Baptist Church in Santa Clara, California. You will hear fervent, old-fashioned revival sermons from great preachers of the past. It is our desire that you will be helped by this gospel message. Psalm 78, verse 35. And they remembered that God was their rock, and the high God their Redeemer. Nevertheless, they did flatter him with their mouth, and they lied unto him with their tongues. For their heart was not right with him, neither were they steadfast in his covenant. But he, being full of compassion, forgave their iniquity, and destroyed them not. Yea, many a time turned he his anger away, and did not stir up all his wrath. For he remembered that they were but flesh. Boy, I wish we could remember that about each other. A wind that passeth away, and cometh not again. How oft did they provoke him in the wilderness, and grieve him in the desert. And here's my text verse. Yea, they turned their back, and tempted God, and limited the Holy One of Israel. What a statement. Flesh limiting deity. Imperfection limiting and governing perfection. Man limiting God. It says they limited the Holy One of Israel. Now I want to read just a verse for you. You need not turn to it. I want to read just one passage. It's the story of Elijah when he prayed down the fire out of heaven. And call ye on the name of your gods, and I will call on the name of the Lord. And the God that answered, let him be God. And all the people answered and said, it is well spoken. I lift that little line out of there where it says, let him be God. I want to speak tonight on the subject, let God be God. I'm using the, the text, they've limited the Holy One of Israel, and also the one that answereth by fire, let God or him be God, our Heavenly Father. I'm aware of the fact that someday I'll have to face this sermon again. That's an awesome thing. I'm also aware of the fact that I'm representing Jesus tonight, and that's an awesome thought. To think that Jesus could not be here, he's busy representing me, has sent me to represent him. I pray that you'd help me to do what he's unable to do because he's not with us in body because he is so gracious in doing what I cannot do in pleading my case at the right hand of your throne. Father, I pray you'd help me tonight. I want to be a blessing. And I pray something real shall happen in this room. I pray that our lives should be changed and transformed as we think of things eternal. In Jesus' name, amen. What a statement. They have limited the Holy One of Israel. Let me see if I can illustrate what that says. I was preaching in Tyler, Texas a number of years ago in a large 1,600-seat auditorium. It was packed and jammed. When I walked out and had a seat on the platform, much like I, much, uh, like where I was sitting tonight, I looked, looked over and I saw a little lady sitting on the second row next to the, uh, in a chair next to the second row and she was in a wheelchair. Looked like she was a middle-aged lady, probably about 67. I hope that's middle age. And uh, she uh, sitting over here right where the mayor is sitting tonight. During the opening prayer, I tiptoed back and spoke a few words to her and told her how pleased I was to have her in the service and got back up on the platform before the prayer was ended. After the service, she rolled her, rolled her wheelchair up here to the base of the platform 
and she thanked me for coming back and shaking her hand. And I said, ma'am, what is your trouble? What is your illness? I'm 99% sure she said multiple sclerosis. She may have said muscular dystrophy, but I'm almost sure it was was multiple sclerosis. And uh, I said, I I voiced my compassion and sympathy for her. And then she said, Dr. Hiles, don't, don't, don't worry about me. She said, my only concern is about my husband. I have a husband who loves me with all of his heart, and I love him very, very much. But she said, I have to sit in this wheelchair and watch somebody else do the work that I'm supposed to do. She said, the only part, I don't mind the pain, I don't mind the suffering, but somebody else cooks his meals. That's my job, to cook his meals. I wish I could do what I'm supposed to do. She said, uh, I want somebody else to clean his house, and that's my job, and I long to do what I'm supposed to do. I want somebody else uh, wash his clothes and iron his shirts, and I hunger to do it because that's my job. She said, Dr. Hiles, I'd give anything in the world if I could just do what I'm supposed to do. Now, that's what God is saying here. God is saying that he hungers to do what he's supposed to do. But somebody is going to have to let God do it. For God has no hands but our hands to do his work today. He has no feet but our feet to lead men to his way. He has no tongue but our tongue to tell men that Christ died. He has no help but our help to lead men to his side. We're the only Bible this careless world's going to read. We're the sinner's gospel. We're the scoffer's creed. We're the Lord's last message written in deed and word. What if the line is crooked? What if the print is blurred? What if our hands are busy with other works than his? What if our feet are leading where sins the Roman is? What if our tongues are speaking of things that Christ would spurn? How can we hope to aid him and hasten his return? God comes in this little passage and he says, Let me be God. Unshackle me. Unbind me. Untie me. Loose me. Let me do what I can do. I'm bound by man's indifference and his sin and his lack of compassion. God said, I hunger to do what I'm supposed to do. Let me be God. Let me be God. Let me be God. And I come tonight as I do all across the country. Every Monday and Tuesday, I'm preaching somewhere. This time last week, I was down in Bradenton, Florida. And this time next week, I'll be in the Philippines. And, and uh, I, uh, everywhere I, I go, I'm, I come with an appeal. Let God be God. Let God be God. I come tonight asking you to unloose and unbind and unshackle our great God. Because God is so immediate that he cannot do his work apart from you and apart from me. And so I come with an appeal tonight to say, he is God, but he cannot be God without man. Let God be God. Let God be God. Let God be God. He says, unshackle me. Let me do what I can do. Unbind me. Untie me. Loose me. Let me be God. There's some things I want to do, but I cannot do them. With my omniscience, I've chosen not to do them without man loosening me. And I come tonight to say that God has so many things he wants to do, but God cannot do them because we will not let God be God. Oh, for the supernatural once again in our churches. Oh, for the reality of the mighty power of the Holy Ghost of God to come in our churches again. I say tonight, I plead with you, let God be God. Let God be God. Let God be God. Let God be God. Now, there are several places, areas tonight in which our God wants to be God. In the first place, let God be God and send revival. 
Let God be God and send revival. Oh, I know what the dispensationalists say. This is not the age of the of revival. The dispensationalists are full of prunes. This is the age of revival. My Bible says that Jesus Christ is same yesterday, today, and forever. If my people shall call by my name, shall humble themselves and pray, and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then will I. Get that? Then will I. That means we have to act before God will act. Then will I. When will God act? When his people call by his name, humble themselves and pray, and seek his face and turn from their wicked ways. God says, uh, he says, uh, uh, you call my name, humble yourself and let me be God. And he said, pray and let me be God. And seek my face and let me be God. And turn from your wicked ways and let me be God. And he says, I hunger to be to send revival. I believe with all of my soul tonight that God is a revival sending God. I believe that revival can come tonight just like revival could come many, many years ago, 2,000 years ago. I do not believe that the dispensations are right when they chop the Bible up in pieces and say, you don't have any miracles anymore. Well, who said you don't have any miracles anymore? I'm saying, let God be God. Let God be God. Let God be God. And send revival. Years ago, I was preaching in uh, Howard Payne University in Brownwood, Texas. I preached on the, to the student body that morning, and then that night we went out to a, a conference grounds in that 1,000-seat tabernacle, and there we had a service. The entire student body was there, and uh, all the faculty, administration, and so forth were present. I preached that night, and, uh, and uh, it was in a big tabernacle and an old-fashioned kind of meeting, supposedly. When I finished preaching, gave the invitation, all of a sudden the pianist quit playing. And uh, she walked down this aisle here and back in the corner and put her arms around her little lady. And she, they began to cry. And the two of them ran down the aisle and began to kneel at the altar and began to weep together. And uh, uh, I did not know what it was, but they were getting right with each other, I found out later. And by the way, you can't be right with God if you're wrong with somebody else. There's no way, no way. And uh, so uh, all of a sudden, the, the, the music director uh, stopped singing and, and, and left me by myself singing the invitation. When I sing, he won't play his harp, and heaven's flag is for the half-mast till I get through. And uh, but there I was singing by myself, just as I am without one plea. And there I was without one plea or without one tune either, by the way. And uh, this song there went back in the back over here and threw his arms around a young man. And they got right with each other and came down the aisle. All of a sudden, all of a sudden, all of heaven broke loose. And that entire student body began to mix and mingle over the auditorium. Uh, of a thousand people, they said over 970 of them had walked down the aisle. I sang by myself, just as I am, but from 9 o'clock till midnight that night. That's where I became such a good soloist. And uh, till midnight that night, and uh, old-fashioned revival came. Now, you listen to me. That's the God that lives tonight. God says, unbind me, untie me, unchain me, unfetter me, loose me. Let me be God. Let me be God. Oh, ladies and gentlemen, I hunger my soul for something real in our churches. Let God be God. Let God be God. Let God be God. And send revival again. I was preaching 1990, let's see, 391, 1991, way down in the Valdosta, Georgia, southern, southern Georgia. I made a statement in a sermon. I said, ladies and gentlemen, I said, um, I believe God can do what he always could do. And I believe that. Uh, I, I believe God can do what he always could do. 
I said, I think if a church had paid the price in 1991, I think they could see 3,000 people walk the aisle and receive Christ as 3,000 people saved, just like they did on Pentecost. Well, praise the Lord. I, I wish I hadn't said that. All of a sudden, it dawned on me. Those words will haunt me a little while later. Next morning, I was on the airplane and, and uh, flying to Hammond, and God spoke to me. Now, he didn't speak out loud. He never has spoken to me out loud. He's never spoken to Oral Roberts out loud either. And if he ever does speak out loud, I'll get it before Oral will, I'll tell you for sure. But I, uh, uh, God spoke to me. Here's what he said. He said, Jack, <laughs> I let him call me Jack. <laughs> he said, Jack, he said, uh, did you mean what you said last night? And I said, oh, I said a lot of things last night. He said, you know what I'm talking about. And I knew what he was talking about. He said, did you really mean last night that a church in 1991 had 3,000 people saved just like you had on Pentecost? I said, yeah, I sure I believe that. That night I did something I did not believe I'd do. I walked up in front of my people. We have about 4,000 folks on Wednesday night. And I said to my people, I said the third, third Sunday in March, we're going to have 3,000 people walk the aisle in First Baptist Church Hammond. I'm not talking about just one to Christ on the streets. I'm talking about walk down the aisle. I'm talking about having names taken. I'm talking about get on your knees with an open Bible and tell them how to be saved. I got home that night. My wife hadn't seen me since Monday morning because I go to the college, straight to the college from the airport every Wednesday, and then to the church. My wife was waiting at the front door. Now, my wife never waits at the front door. She always wait, uh, waits at, at the kitchen table so we can get right with it as soon as I get home. But that night, she was waiting at the front door. Now, my wife is the softest, sweetest thing you ever saw in your life. She's got a southern accent, and she says hello on the telephone. The operator says, your three minutes is up, please, and deposits some more money. We never fuss at our house. I mean that. You won't believe this. We never fuss. It's been 20, almost 26 years since we've had a fuss. Now, I've busted her mouth a few times, but we've never fussed. I made that statement, and by the way, we haven't. We haven't had a fuss in 26, almost 26 years. I made that statement a long ago. I said, we haven't had a fuss in 25 years. One of the boys said, you ain't been home in 25 years either. And uh, that does help a great deal. She said, you made a fool out of yourself tonight. I said, no, I didn't. I was already a fool. I just revealed it tonight. She said, she said you know what you said tonight? And I said, uh, I said a lot of things. She said, you know what I'm talking about. And I knew what she was talking about. She said tonight, do you understand that you said on the third Sunday of March, we're going to have 3,000 people saved in one service? I said, yeah, I know it. <laughs> oh, oh, oh. She said, you know we can't do that. And I said, I think we can. We work. I've never seen a church work like that. I've never seen a church pray like our church prays. Third Sunday of March came. How many of you were there that morning? Raise your hand. Uh-oh, I've got to tell the truth now. And, yes, so they'll, they'll vouch for this. That morning came. Invitation time came. I dig, uh, our main floor of auditorium, oh, seats 4,000, I guess. We have a mezzanine and a balcony. But I guess the main floor seats 4,000 people. And that thing was two-thirds filled with converts that morning. It looked like two-thirds filled. And others kept coming. I told my record secretary, I said, get a little three-by-five card and fold it once and write the number of people got saved this morning on the card. I don't want to know how many until the people find out. I said, as I walk in tonight, 
I said, put that card in my hand, and I'll announce it and find out the same time the people do. I stood up that night, and boy, it was electrifying. You remember that night? It was electrifying. And I said, folks, in this card is a number. I do not know what it is. I don't know if we had 3,000 people saved today or not. But I said, I'm going to open the card and see. I opened the card, and here's what it said. 5,195 people had walked the aisle in First Baptist Church of Hammond. I know what you Pharisees are saying. How many of them were sincere? About the same percentage of your four you had last year. I, 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 I'm saying this. I'm saying, ladies and gentlemen, it's time we untied the hand of God. Let God be God. Let God be God. Let God be God. Let God be God. God said, untie me. Unshackle me. I want to send revival. I want to send my mighty power. Untie me. Unshackle me. I say tonight, ladies and gentlemen, it's time for a bunch of old-fashioned, independent, fundamental Baptists to let God be God again. Let God be God. Let God be God. Let God be God. God says, uh, you, you, you bound the Holy One of Israel. You've limited the Holy One of Israel. Unloose me. Unshackle me. Let me be God again. I say, let God be God and send revival. By the way, the next year we had another Pentecost Sunday and had 3,300 people walk the aisle for salvation. And the next year we had the third one, had 4,990 some odd people walk the aisle for salvation. And uh, he said to the house, you, you're not so hot. Well, you're not either. But you don't have to be so hot if you've got a God that's hot. I mean, if you'll just let God be God, you can get out of the way and let God come through. I'm no great Shakespeare preacher. I'm no Lee Robertson. I'm no John Rice. I'm no Billy Sunday. Uh, I'm, I also don't have flowers in front of my pulpit either. But, uh, but, but all God needs is somebody to let him loose. Turn him loose. Let God be God. Let God be God. Let God be God. Let God be God and send revival. Number two, let God be God and empower you. I'm talking about the fullness of the Holy Spirit. I'm talking about the mighty power of God. I'm not talking about some kind of a tongue-talking jabber. I'm not talking about some kind of a sinless perfection. I'm talking about this. God says, unshackle me. Untie me. I want to give you my mighty power. I believe with all of my heart tonight in the mighty power of God, and I believe in the fullness of the Holy Spirit of God. Be not drunk with wine wherein is excess, but be ye filled with the Holy Ghost of the Holy Spirit of God. I was preaching in Canada, up northern Canada, well, about 150 miles north of Toronto is all, a little place called Mary Lake. I, um, it was a, na a national pastor's meeting for the Baptist uh, Conference of Canada. Have you ever preached in Canada? That's the strangest bunch of people you ever saw in your life. They just look at you while you preach. If you say something funny, they don't laugh. They write ha-ha on a piece of paper. <laughs> you say something sad, they don't cry. They write boo-hoo on the back of the ha-ha. I preached to 300 preachers from all, from all the way from, from, from Newfoundland all the way out to the west coast of Canada and, uh, and uh, 300 pastors. They just stared at me. <laughs> well, I can understand, as cute as I am, but they, they just stared at me all during the service. I, I, I preached that night on Ichabod, the glory is departed. One person came by to shake my hand. One. Those people were the deadest people. There might be a great deal of people I've seen elsewhere. And, uh, but 
but only one. And that was a fellow named Martin Wedge, who had pastored in Texas with me years ago. I went to my room that night. I was so discouraged I couldn't sleep. I wanted to go back home. I said they don't like me. They, they got mad. They wouldn't speak to me. Or nobody but one guy that I'd known in Texas came by to shake my hand. And uh, I said, uh, I don't want to go back tomorrow morning. I couldn't sleep. About 3 o'clock in the morning, I gave it up. Got up, put my clothes on. Started walking around that lake up in northern Canada, uh, uh, 150 miles north of Toronto, Canada. Wee hours of the morning, 3, 3.15, 3.30. I was walking around that lake. All of a sudden, I heard somebody groan. Oh, 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 And I decided to follow the voice. It was an old preacher. Old preacher. Real old. Probably 67 years old. And uh, he was he was walking. And, and I, he didn't know I was there. He was wringing his hands like that. And he said, oh, God. Oh, God. That preacher was right last night. The glory's departed. Ichabod's on my ministry. Oh, God, that preacher's right. Oh, God, give me the power I used to have. Oh, God, come in power. Oh, God, fill me with the Spirit of God. Wasn't long till I heard a second preacher. Oh, oh, God. Oh, God. I followed the voice. It was a, young, a middle-aged preacher. And that preacher had his, had his, sitting on a picnic table, had his feet on the, on the seat. And he was sitting up on the table. Had his head in his hands like that. And he was crying, oh God, that preacher was right last night. Oh my God, that preacher was right last night. Oh God, I need your power. Oh God, Ichabod's written across my ministry. My ministry's lifeless. My preaching is dead. Oh God, come back in power. I walked around that lake that, that, that morning before sunup. I counted 14 Canadian preachers walking around that lake. Begging for the mighty power of God. Now you listen to me. More than you need that seminary degree. More than you need that polish and organization. More than you need that suave presentation. More than you need that effort. You need to know what it is to get out in the woods along with God. And get the mighty power of God back on your life. It is not by might. It is not by power. But by my spirit, saith the Lord of hosts. God comes tonight and God says, unbind me. Unshackle me. Let me do what I can do. I've got some miracles I want to perform, but I can't do it. Unbind me. I've got revival I want to send, but I can't do it. You've limited the Holy One of Israel. Let me be God. Let me be God. Tonight I come to you and I, oh my, with my heart, I say, let's let God be God again in Southern California. Let God be God. Let God be God. Next morning, I went to preach again. I preached that morning. Nobody, nobody said amen. Nobody cried. Nobody laughed. Reminded me a great deal of people in Arkansas. And, but I, uh, oh, there's so many things I want to say right now. I think it's the 88th Psalm. I think it's verse 9 is my verse for him. It says, may his days be few and another take his office. <laughs> but anyway, be it as it may. I'm talking about you at all. Um, though I do suspicion a politician's got a mustache. There's something behind there somewhere. I preached that morning, not an amen, not any response at all. All of a sudden, a preacher came running down that aisle. He fell on his face at that altar, 
Would somebody turn me up just a bit on the PA? He fell on his face at that altar and began to scream and cry. Oh, God. Oh, my dead preacher was right last night. Oh, God, give me power. Oh, God, Ichabod is written across my ministry. Ladies and gentlemen, down the aisle came those preachers. 270 some out of them came down the aisle. Less than 25 were left in the pews. They fell on their faces. They began to pray and confess their sins. That was 10 o'clock in the morning. At, at the, they prayed and confessed. I mean, I mean, uh, maybe a dozen at a time, standing up in different parts of the altar, confessing their sins out loud and praying out loud, openly weeping and begging God for His mighty power. They prayed and confessed their sins from 10 to 11. They prayed and confessed their sins from 11 to 12. At 12 o'clock, somebody said, it's time for lunch. And they said, we don't want any lunch. We've got to have the power of God upon our lives. At 1 o'clock, somebody came and said, it's time for the softball game. And they said, we don't want to play softball. And so 2 o'clock came. They rang the bell and said, it's time for the volleyball tournament. And those preachers said, fooey on volleyball, volleyball. Fooey on softball. Fooey on food. I saw those preachers on their faces before God the Almighty from 10 to 11, from 11 to 12, from 12 to 1, from 1 to 2. Shortly after 4 o'clock, I had to go catch an airplane. And those preachers were still on their faces before God. Let me tell you something. If we spend less time at McDonald's gossiping about each other and more time on our faces in the woods before God, something could happen. God comes tonight and God says, let me be God. Unshackle me. Unbind me. Untie me. Loose me. Let me be God. I want to send revival. Let me do it. I want to give you my, the mighty power. Let me be God and fill you with the Holy Ghost. Seven times a day. Six o'clock in the morning. Nine o'clock in the morning. Noon. Three in the afternoon. Six o'clock at night, nine o'clock at night, right before I go to bed. Can I have this mic, please? I get on my knees. I need this one right here. I get on my knees. Turn it up, please. And I say, Holy Spirit, I yield myself to you. And I pray you help me across the path of those whom Jesus would help if he walked in my shoes. Everywhere I go in my life, my regular schedule, I have little reminders. Pray for power. Pray for power. Pray for power. On the mirror where I shave in the morning, it says, pray for power. I walk in the door of my office up here on the, up on the left. There's, a, there's a, a big, wide piece of board, burnt letters in it. Pray for power. Open the refrigerator in my office, and on the door it says, pray for power. I go inside my restroom at the church, and look in there, it says, pray for power. On my desk, I see the words, pray for power. In my briefcase, I have the words, pray for power. Ladies and gentlemen, we are going to die as fundamental independent Baptists if we don't get the power of the Holy Spirit back in our movement and back in our feet. God says, let me be God. Let me be God. Every week of my life, at least one hour between midnight and, and five o'clock in the morning, every week of my life, at least one hour in the wee hours, I cry for the mighty power of God. 30, day, 30 minutes a day. Beside my other prayer time, I do nothing but pray for the power of God. I'm saying seven times a day, I yield myself to Him. 
30 minutes a day, I plead for his power. Everywhere I go, I'm reminded to pray for power. And one night a week, an hour, in the wee hours of the morning, I pray for the mighty power of God. I come tonight, ladies and gentlemen, to tell you that though we need some political improvement in our country, that's not going to save our country. And though we ought to, we ought to put the guys that perform the abortions and kill these babies in the electric chair, we ought to do it, that's not going to save our country. And though we should not have queers in the armed forces, that's not going to save our country. You know what's going to save our country? Isn't God's people once again fall on their faces and ask God for His power again? God says, let me be God. Untie me. Unshackle me. Loose me. Unbind me. Let me send my power once again. Thirdly, God says, let me be God and answer prayer. Sad truth is, the average person in this room tonight, hasn't prayed that many minutes today. You've read the books on prayer. You've preached sermons on prayer. You've heard Bible lessons on prayer. You've given Bible lessons on prayer. But the sad truth tonight is the average person in this room, and you're the finest Christians in this valley, the average person in this room tonight has not been ten. Pray, tell me how in the world are we going to save this country without a bunch of praying Christians on their faces before God. I'm not much preacher. I'm just a little country preacher. Went to town, couldn't find no city limits, and couldn't leave. Had to go to work, start a church. I worked a half day in 1938. Didn't like it, so I decided to either start a church or be a politician. So I decided to take the honest route. Happy anniversary. I don't make any shakes of being a great preacher or a great leader, but I've got a great God. I will not walk in my pulpit next Sunday morning. I will not be a fraud. I will not be an imposter. I'll not be a fake. I'll not walk in my pulpit next Sunday morning without having spent at least 20 hours during the week in the woods alone with my God. God says, let me be God and send revival. Let me be God and empower you. Let me be God and answer prayer. My favorite illustration is coming up. Some of you folks have heard it before. Well, I've heard it 562 times. I love it. Years ago, I was asked to preach a youth revival. That's been years ago. I was 27. They contacted me at North, uh, North Side, North Houston Baptist Church contacted me. Had a 72-year-old pastor. Now, youth revivals in those days were very popular. The whole church would come to revival, but the young folks would be in charge of it. The choir would be filled with young people. Said, you're not set tonight. <laughs> But the choir would be filled with young people, the ushers, young people, and special numbers, young people. And some young preacher, <coughs> would, young folks would vote on some young preacher to come and preach. Well, I went down on Sunday afternoon to start the revival on Sunday night. The pastor was 72 and I was 27. He took me behind the pulpit of the church. I have never seen a more beautiful auditorium in my life. That church was filled with millionaires, multi-millionaires. Now, our church is wealthy, too. we got a lot of hundred heirs in our church. 
But the um, everybody knows the folks making money there, professional basketball players and politicians. But anyway, <coughs> um, in that order, by the way. But this this church was wealthy, and the auditorium was was perfectly round. The carpet was three inches thick at least. The choir was not up here or behind the pulpit where the Bible says it's supposed to be. <coughs> the choir was up in a balcony like an opera. Had about 20 seats up there and some winding steps that came down. I have never seen an auditorium as immaculately beautiful. And that night, a pastor said to me that afternoon, he said, Dr. Brother Hyam, he said, uh, this is youth revival, and young people voted to have you. He said, now, I didn't want you. I want you to know that. You're not my kind of preacher. I didn't tell him, but he wasn't my kind of preacher. But anyway, he said, to, I, I didn't want you. But I said, I want to tell you some things about a church. He said, in the first place, we don't show any emotion in our church. These were transplanted Canadians down in Texas. And he said, in the second place, we don't have any hollering or screaming behind the pulpit. That's no problem with me, of course. He said, uh, "He said we don't say amen. We feed it and don't show it. So that night I stood to speak. Building packed, thousand seats packed. Wealth everywhere. Fur coats, diamond rings, millionaires all over the place. That gorgeous building, I stood the priest. Didn't have a holy grunt. I mean, not anybody came forward. Nobody. Not nobody. Monday night, I preached again. Nothing happened. Tuesday night, I preached again. Nothing happened. Wednesday night, I preached again. Nobody came forward. I couldn't get anybody to tithe. I couldn't get anybody to quit cussing. I couldn't get anybody to join by letter. I couldn't get anybody to promise who's better in any area. Wednesday night, I went back to my room. I stayed in the parlor room off, off of the pastor's home. I said, dear God, I'm not going to be this kind of preacher. I'm not going to be a powerless preacher. I'm not. And by the way, that's what you ought to say too. Amen. If you can go to the church on Sunday and not have anybody saved and play golf on Monday, you're not right with God. Amen. I quit playing golf myself because they discriminated against me. They mowed the grass where the other fellows played and wouldn't mow it where I played. I quit the game. I, I fell on my face, 27-year-old kid preacher, and I said, dear God, I'm not going to eat and I'm not going to sleep till you send revival. I'm going to fast and pray. I'll not sleep a wink. I'll not eat a bite till you send revival. I prayed from 10 to 11, 11 to 12, <coughs> 12 to 1. One to two, two to three, three to four, five to six. About six o'clock the next morning, the sweet hand of God came and put his put and, and put his fingers on my shoulders, and God gave me the sweet peace. He's going to send a revival that night. Now, you, some of you folks, most of you folks, don't know what I'm talking about, but some of you old prayer warriors know what I'm talking about tonight. And God said, "Son, I'm going to send a revival." Now you say, "What was that?" Uh, Nazarenes used to call it praying through. Baptists don't name it because you don't name anybody in born yet. We don't have it, so no need to name it. But I prayed from 10 to 6, and God came and said, Tonight, I'm going to send a revival. I got up off my knees and, and my face, 
I began to shout and praise God, revival's going to come tonight. Well, I couldn't wait to get there that night. I walked up that night to preach. I said, since God's going to send revival, I'm going to preach my best sermon. It was on the prodigal son. I preached it 15 times. It was a wonderful, wonderful message. And uh, in that story or sermon, I tell the story of the prodigal son like this. There was a man in an eastern home, had two boys. Younger of the boys got tired of the rules, got, got tired of, of working hard and obeying the rules and said, Dad, I want my part of the inheritance. I want to leave. His dad gave him the part of the inheritance, and I said the boy's name was, and <coughs> always called the boy, Bill. I said his name was Bill. And he had a brother that was older. He stayed home. His name was John. Now, that's what I always did. But that night, I couldn't think of the word Bill. I said, folks, I said, I want to tell you a story about an eastern family. Father had two sons. And I said, the youngest son said, I want the portion of my inheritance. I want to leave. I'm tired of the rules, the old-time religion, and, and all the standards. I want to leave. And his name was? And I couldn't think of Bill. I couldn't think of it. Absolutely went blank, which is not a very long journey for me. And uh, I, I, I was blank. I couldn't think of the name Bill. So I stepped back a little bit, and I came back again. And I said, folks, his name was? Still couldn't think of the name Bill. So I told him more of the story. I said he went out in the far country, and his name was? And still couldn't think of Bill. Now, Bill's not a very big word. And uh, I said, uh, and, he, and he spent all, and his name was? And still couldn't think of Bill. So I started the story again. I said, let me review. This particle son uh, left home. I'm tired of the rules. I'm tired of, 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 of obeying. I, I want my, my portion of inheritance. And his name was? And still couldn't think of Bill. By that time, the folks were making fun of me. They were shaking their heads. Young people were going. <laughs> and the pastor was back shaking his head like that. And there I was making a fool of myself or revealing that I was a fool. And, uh, and I couldn't think of the word Bill. And I started crying. And I said, folks, I said his name was. And the pastor stood up to close the service. And I begged him to sit down. I said, I'll do better. I'll do better. I said, folks, his name was. And I couldn't think of Bill. So I decided to use his brother's name. I said his name was John. Then I thought I'll think of the prodigal's name and name the brother his name. I said his prodigal son's name was John. His brother's name was? Still couldn't think of Bill. Still couldn't think of Bill. I said his brother stayed home. His name was? Still couldn't think of Bill. I said his brother worked in the field and was obedient to the father. Never one time disobeyed him. His name was? Still couldn't think of Bill. And finally, in desperation, with folks making fun and snickering, I said, he didn't have no name. I said, they called him Little Bud. <laughs> and then I thought of Bill. <laughs> but this particular man didn't have any more kids. <laughs> so the whole sermon I called Bill John and John Little Bud. Then I thought of Bill. I'd say his name was John, and his brother's name was Little Bud. And all through the whole sermon, it was not Bill and John. It was John Little Bud. Whole people, and I kept, then I got upset at God. I said, yeah, you promised me last night I had, I had revival. I prayed all night long. I should have slept, and I wouldn't have lost my memory up here in front of all these people. <laughs> I couldn't wait till I got through. I wanted to go back to my room and tell God what I thought about him. He promised me revival, and there I was making a fool of myself and couldn't think of the name Bill. All I could think of was John and Little Bud. Service was over. I was going to sing one stanza and go home. I sang that stanza. building was packed over here next to the wall. A tall, good-looking young man, about six foot two, 
weighed about 175, not dressed for church, but dressed neatly in a, in a shirt, tie, and pair of slacks. He walked toward the aisle right here. I thought, good night. Nobody's going to walk the aisle after that sermon. He didn't. He walked toward the back. And I said, don't blame him. I'd walk out myself if I weren't paid to stay. But he didn't walk out. He stopped on the back row. When he stopped on the back row, he began to walk like this across the couldn't sing. And then finally the choir came down those winding steps and got on their faces. And, and I didn't know what was going on. I just stood up there looking dumb, which is no big problem for me. And uh, I just stood looking dumb. And, and, and I didn't know what's going on. It was Iva. I mean, almost everybody in that thousand seat on court came forward that night. And so after midnight, they shouted, and people got saved, and people got right with God. And it was all around this, this boy and this woman and the deacon chairman. Woo! My soul! I didn't know what happened. Finally, about midnight, and by the way, about 11 o'clock, the pastor took off and, and dove in that office and started shouting. He told me not to holler. And there he was shouting, hugging that boy, hugging that woman, too. Hugging the deacon chairman. Now, that is revival. In the past. Hugging, the hugging the deacon chairman. Finally, the pastor, about after midnight, said, Dr. Brown, would you close the service? I don't think I can. I still don't know what happened. I said, dear God, I've got the foggiest idea what happened tonight, but show us fun. I do not know who that man, who that woman was, don't know who that boy was. I don't know what the deacon chairman's got to do with it, but thank you for whatever happened here tonight. Nobody heard me pray. Everybody's still shouting and praying, praising God. I folded my Bible. I folded my Bible like that. I walked towards the door over here to go home. Nobody knew I was going, except one person. I felt a hand on my shoulder. A little secretary, about five foot tall, church secretary, a little bit of a guy, took away the hundred pounds. She pulled me around like that on my shoulder, looked up and tears in our cheeks. She said, who told you? I said, who told me what? She said, don't look so dumb. I said, I can't help it. <laughs> she said, you know what I'm talking about. Who told you? I said, who told me what? She said, you know what I'm talking about. She said, I knew when you preached on the prodigal son tonight, you knew what it was. I said, what was it? She said, that boy over there was a deacon chairman's son. He left home a year ago every service, Sunday morning, Sunday night, and Wednesday night for a year. Our churches prayed for that prodigal son. The last we heard of him, he was up in Canada. He's wasted his father's uh, uh, wealth and, and, and wasted his life. And we prayed for him and prayed for him. Nobody knew he was in the United States, much less Texas, much less Houston. Tonight, walked in there and sat over there. And you preached on the prodigal son. She said, who told you he was in? I said, you mean, that's who came from? 
She said, yeah, that was his mother back there in the back. And that was her husband, the deacon chairman, her husband. Who told you? I said, ma'am, you better let me go. I'm about to have a spell. <laughs> I got to get to my room. I turned and walked out. She, I felt that same hand on my shoulder and put me around again. She said, who told you? I said, who told me what? She said, you know what? I said, I don't know what. She said, who told you his name was John? Oh, oh, oh. I said, his name was John. She said, no much surprise you called his name. We thought he'd walk out and you called his name. We know, we know you knew him. We knew it. And you called his name. She said, it took you a while to do it, but you didn't. <laughs> I said, man, you mean that boy's name was John? She said, yes, don't look so dumb. You know it. I said, man, you better let me go. I gotta get to my room. I gotta fit it. I gotta throw. I turned and walked away. You won't believe this. I don't care. I felt that same hand on my shoulder. She said, who told she had no sisters and just one brother? And his brother's nickname is Little Bud. I said, ma'am, I'm gone. I'm gone. That night, a 27-year-old preacher found out there was a God in heaven. 27-year-old preacher found out that there was a God who answered prayer. And I spent the night shouting and praising God and having a spell just like you don't. And uh, I, I spent the night praising God. I want to tell you tonight, God says, let me be God. I've got some things I want to do, but I can't do it because you won't let me. Unbind me. Unloose me. Unfetter me. Let me go. Let me be God. You answered the Holy One of Israel. Let me be God and let me send revival. Let me be God and send you the mighty power. Let me be God and answer prayer. Let God be God to save souls. You say, Brother Hiles, it's not easy out in California. It's not easy. It wasn't easy in Jerusalem either. Fifty days before they crucified the Savior whom they trusted on Pentecost. Wasn't easy in Nineveh either. Bunch of fish worshippers. The great revival. Preached by the prophet Jonah. I want to tell you tonight, every single person in this room needs to dedicate himself in these two days to a new, bigger, and personal soul winning. But you say for the house, I can't be a soul winner. My Bible says they that sow in tears shall reap in joy. You sound timid. Shy, then suck your thumb while you go so I know what John MacArthur says. John MacArthur says that you're not that 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 that, that uh, lifestyle evangelism. He says that you can't have confrontational soul winning anymore. All fully on that hogwash. I said fully on it. You can't win souls to Christ. Last year alone, over five hundred people a Sunday walked the aisles in First Baptist Church of Hammond, Indiana professing faith in Christ the Savior. We averaged 160 baptisms every Sunday of the year last year. Over 4,000 people from our church go soul winning every week of the world. One reason is Howells Anderson College 
Every student goes soul winning or we ship him home. Every week has to fill out a report too, by the way. Every, you guys at the Howell Center, every, every week you were there, you had to fill out a report. That's why you got expelled. <laughs> every faculty member has to go soul winning every week and fill out a report. Every cook in the kitchen, every custodian that sweeps the floor, every secretary in the office has to go soul winning every week if they stay at Howells Anderson College. Plus, we have over 2,000 lay people every week that go soul winning. I'm simply saying, God says, let me be God again. Let me be God. Unloose me. Unbind me. Chain me. Unfetter me. Oh, my soul hungers tonight for the mighty power of God to come again in our country. Let God be God. 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 We have limited the Holy One of Israel. Let Him do what He wants to do again. Lastly, don't put your shoes on, lady. It's a long lastly. Let God be God and use you. I'm testifying. I'll be through. I'm not sure testifying and being true will be close to each other, but I'm going to do both. You're not looking at a thoroughbred tonight. You're not listening tonight to a pedigree. You're listening tonight to a little, poor, ghetto-bound boy reared in the ghettos of southwest Dallas. I had my first pair of shoes bought for me when I was 14 years of age. I ate my first egg when I was 14 years old. I ate my first hamburger when I was 14 years old. I didn't even know you were supposed to get Christmas presents until I was six years old. My first birthday present was on my fifth birthday, and it was five little one-cent candy bars. My daddy was the neighborhood drunk. God reached down and saved me. And God called me to preach the gospel. God didn't say, I'll pour water on him who's handsome. Boy, you better thank God he didn't say that. <laughs> God didn't say, I'll pour water on him who's brilliant. He didn't say, I'll pour water on him who's educated. I'll pour water on him who's thirsty. Amen. Oh, I'd like to a bunch of folks to get thirsty tonight. Amen. May I testify? That little ghetto-bound boy. If I can pastor ten more years. And if I can have the same number of people walk the aisle for salvation in my church for ten more years, may God give it to me. That little old ghetto-bound boy will have seen one million souls walk down the aisles in his churches receiving Christ as Savior. You go to the great Chicago area tonight, which is about the same size of your area. You take the number of people that live in the great Chicago area, and you take the number of people that have walked down the aisles and been dealt with at Oldman Bibles. We have their names and addresses at First Baptist Church of Hammond, Indiana. And you will find that one person out of every 14 people in the Chicago area has walked the aisle in the First Baptist Church of Hammond, Indiana. That'd be like one church having one person out of 14 in all these cities around here. I'm talking about Long Beach. I'm talking about Covina. 
I'm talking about uh, Anaheim. I'm talking about uh, Canoga Park. I'm talking about Pomona. I'm talking about Claremont. I'm talking about where we are tonight. I'm talking about this great area, the great Chicagoland metropolitan area. One out of 14. Dr. David Gibbs of the Christian Law Association is writing a book about me. He interviewed me for seven hours one day and then seven hours another day. A few weeks later, and then a few weeks later, seven hours for the third time. Dr. Gibbs asked me this question in closing. He said, Brother Hiles, what's the greatest joy of your life? What's the greatest joy of your life? And I said to go back to my room at night after I preached somewhere in America and get on my knees and look up to God and say, I believe you used me tonight. I believe you used me tonight. God comes tonight to me and God says, Brother Jack, let me be God. Let me send revival in First Baptist Church at Hammond. Let me give you the mighty power of the Holy Spirit. Let me answer your prayers. Let me use you. Let me be God. And I come tonight, and as I close, I come with the same appeal that I started with a while ago. Let God be God tonight. This great Southern California area. Wicked. Every kind of a cult under the sun out here. Possibility thinking, garbage. Bloodless, the MacArthur's bloodless gospel. Oh, how God needs out here a group of people like in this room tonight to look up and say, Oh, God, be God. Be God again. Be God. Be God. Oh, God, be God again. Let God be God. Let God be God. Let God be God. Let God be God. Unbind Him. Unshackle Him. Unloose Him. Unchain Him. Let God be God. And send revival and save souls and answer prayer and empower you and use you. I'm a little old-fashioned, I know, when it comes to religion and God. Many think I'm painfully slow since I walk where my fathers have trod. But I believe in repentance from sin and that Jesus within us must dwell. I believe that if heaven would win, we must flee from the terrors of hell. I'm a little old-fashioned, I know, but God's peace has a home in my soul. And I'm telling wherever I go that Jesus is saving and keeping me whole. I can see the end of the tunnel just a little bit. I'm 67. I preached nearly 54,000 sermons. I hope I have years left, but I can see just a tad of light down at the end of the tunnel. I don't want anything else in my life. There's nothing I want in the world that I know of. If, if tonight, if the pastor said, Dr. Hiles, what, what would you like to have? I'd have to say I don't know the thing I want. I mean that. I've got a doctor, several doctors in my church. One of my doctors, the leading surgeon in our area, he called me out in front one night, and there was a beautiful brand-new Mercedes-Benz car sitting in front of my house. I drive a Plymouth Sundance with a little tiny Plymouth. There was that beautiful Mercedes-Benz car that doctor had ordered for me and had everything on it that Mercedes could have on it. And that doctor said, Preacher, I bought it for you. And I said, Doc, I don't want it. 
She said, what do you mean you don't want it? I ordered it six months ago. This is one of the happiest days of my life. I'm looking forward to tonight. I said, Doc, I don't want it. This world is not my home. I'm just passing through. My treasures are laid up somewhere beyond the blue. I wouldn't walk out the parking lot tonight to get the best car in this county. I wouldn't walk down to the the clothing store to get the best suit in this city tonight. If you gave me $10,000 tonight and said go shopping tomorrow, I'd come back with $9,999.50 and one Reese peanut butter cup. (laughs) I don't want anything. No, I don't want anything. There's no place I want to go. I've been everywhere I want to go. There's no place I want to preach. I've already preached there. I've preached at all the great independent Baptist conventions and the Baptist conventions across America and around the world. There's no place. I preached in the Coliseums in America. I'm talking about the great Coliseums in America. 10, 15, 20,000 people have already been there. I have one desire. I want the creator of the universe to use me until I see him face to face. I beg you tonight, let God be God. 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 Thank you for listening to the Classic Sermons Podcast from PreachTheBible.org, a ministry of North Valley Baptist Church in Santa Clara, California. To listen to many more powerful sermons, visit our website, PreachTheBible.org. If you enjoy Christian music and programming, visit KNVBC.com for Christian music you can trust.